We read this morning from Romans chapter 14, verses 13 to 23. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is, un- is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Great. So if you've got your Bibles there, pop them back open. If you shut them to Romans 14, and then you can uh, follow along with this this passage. This... uh, the verses that uh, Stephen read to us are, are in a way, they're a kind of a part two uh, to last week's part one. Part two to last week's what part one. And actually, uh, when we come back to Romans in two weeks, we're going to get to a part three. Uh, so this really from chapter 14, verse one to chapter 15, verse 13 is a, is, a, is a kind of little section of its own that we've split into three parts. And this morning is part two. So I think it'd be helpful as we begin to look at that, just to sort of refresh our memories on what we covered uh, last week. Hopefully this is fresh in memories, but there'll be some who, who maybe weren't here last week. Uh, and so we'll just uh, sketch out what we looked at last week. And hopefully for most of you, this is vaguely familiar. Paul is addressing this situation in Rome uh, of disagreement amongst Christians. Uh, this disagreement we, we, we saw last week, it's not about foundational matters. This isn't a disagreement about the gospel, about the nature of God. This, these aren't foundational matters that they're disagreeing about, and that's important. And neither are these matters of disagreement areas uh, where God has clearly said that this is something that's wrong and prohibited and off limits. So these uh, disagreements aren't about what, what God has clearly uh, made known as sinful and wrong. These disagreements, Paul says in verse 1 of chapter 14, are matters of opinion. They're, they're debatable matters. Uh, and there were specific areas of disagreement in Rome. One was around the, the, the religious calendar, different festivals and feasts. Uh, and the other area of disagreement was around eating and drinking uh, and different foods. And these disagreements, I think... Uh, have their roots in the, the, 
the Jew-Gentile divide and the life under the old covenant for the nation of Israel and how that all now works out as those who belong to Jesus. And so in a sense, they're, they're unique to the situation in Rome, but we all have different things, be it from our, our tradition, our, our upbringing, uh, different areas of, of practice uh, that we do things a little bit differently uh, and it's very easy to disagree in those areas and it seems in the church in Rome that there was this divide was, was developing and, and Paul identified these two groups didn't he he called one the strong and one group the weak and the, the, those in the, in, in the kind of weak group uh, it's not that they were weak physically, <laughs> plenty of muscle. It's not even that they were weak in in sense of they were weak in falling into temptation. They were weak in that their, their conscience was uh, perhaps oversensitive. There were certain things they believed they couldn't do that actually they were permitted to do. And there were certain things that they believed they actually must do. And they weren't actually required by God to do those things. And the strong, they had a, uh, a liberty of conscience. <laughs> they understood what Jesus said, that when he pronounced all foods clean, that there are no unclean foods, there are no foods that are off limits. And the instruction that we heard last week to these two groups was to welcome one another. <laughs> to welcome one another, just as God has has welcomed us, not to look down on each other, not to, to judge each other. Remember, Paul said that we, we all live before the Lord Jesus. We're, we're ultimately living for the audience of one. And we're to do what we do to honour him. He's the one whom we will give an account to. Like I said, the situation and the... the the disagreements in Rome were unique to that situation, but there are all sorts of things, uh, all sorts of different practices that we have that find no clear mandate in, in the Bible. Um, maybe disagreement over those. And this chapter is helping us how to navigate those things. And whether we get into the second half of chapter 14 here, the passage that Stephen read to us, the person who's addressed in, this, in these verses is those who are strong, those who are strong. And the temptation that the strong have is to coerce and to manipulate and to pressure those who are weak. And Paul is writing into that temptation. And as he begins, this is how he starts. Uh, verse 13. Therefore, he says, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. Let us not pass judgment on one another any longer. We got into a, a discussion in our home group I'm always interested to know what others chat about in their home groups. But in our home group, we got into a discussion about whether it's ever right for Christians to judge one another. And someone turned up uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 15. Uh, and, and Paul says this there, 1 Corinthians 15, what business is it of mine to judge those outside of the church? Are you not to judge those inside? So there Paul seems to be saying, you, you know, you are, you're meant to judge one another. And here it seems contradictory, he's saying, no, no, let's not judge one another any longer. So what, what's going on? Well, the situation is very different. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's this uh, instance of obvious, gross, overt sin within the congregation. 
And Paul is saying, you are, to, you are to pass judgment on things like that. That's not okay. Here in Romans, it's not the case. These are opinions. And so Paul says, don't judge one another. Stop passing judgment on one another any longer. Instead, he says, decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. There's a bit of a play of words here. He says, don't judge one another. If you're going to judge anything, if you're going to make any decisions, make this decision that you're never going to put a stumbling block in the way of a brother or sister. Decide that you're not going to put an obstacle in the way of your brother and sister following Jesus. If you want to draw lines in the sand, draw that line. Make that decision. In order to understand what Paul means by a a stumbling block, we're going to have a little think about this word conscience. Conscience. We're going to think about kind of three headings this morning. The first one's conscience. The second one's love. And the third one's the kingdom of God. Uh, But first of all, conscience. Conscience. And here's the principle I think we're to understand uh, about conscience. And the principle that Paul is driving at here in these verses, it's this. If, if I think it's okay, or if I know it's okay to do something or not do something, and my brother or sister believes that it's wrong, then I should take great care. If I know something's okay, but my brother or sister believes that it's wrong, then I should take great care. I don't know what you think about when you hear the word, word conscience. Maybe you think it's uh, some kind of inner voice, a bit like the Jiminy Cricket character in Pinocchio. Uh, it's kind of inner voice, this feeling, this f- uncomfortable feeling when you've done something, a kind of guilty, troubled feeling. This, I think, is a really helpful definition of, of conscience. Conscience is your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. That's what your conscience is. It's your consciousness of what you believe is right and wrong. So you can see from there, a conscience may, may be oversensitive. You may believe something is wrong when it's not. That was a problem here in Rome. See, our consciences are like, are like plasticine. They're always going to be moulded by, by something and shaped by something. Our, our upbringing, our, our traditions, what other people think. God's word. If we were to wind the clock back 40 years, uh, we would all take our plastic bottle and just throw it in any old bin that we, uh, we came past. Uh, 40 years on, maybe some of us think a little bit more carefully about which bin we put our plastic bottle in. And maybe if we put our plastic bottle in the wrong bin, uh, our conscience troubles us. That's uh, an example of how our conscience can be moulded and shaped by expectations and traditions and information and the aim for us as Christians is to have our consciences what we are conscious of believe to be right and wrong to be molded by God's word that's that's the aim to be tuned by God's word when you tune a guitar, you know you stick the little thing on the end. It tells you how far out you are uh, from the note, and you pluck the string, and you twist the. Uh, I don't even know the, the the name of these things. You know the little knobs on the end, and and you you tune, and you tune, and eventually you you hit the note. 
Something like that is meant to be going on as we grow as Christians. We have this experience, oh, oh, I thought I had to do this, but now I see that I don't. Or, oh, I used to think that was, that was wrong, but now I see that that's okay. And we should be open to those kind of changes. This passage isn't kind of telling us that, that the weak should always be weak. <laughs> No, through exposure to the scriptures and through the patient teaching of the Bible, our consciences should slowly be recalibrated. But we're, we're all works in progress, aren't we? All of us, strong and weak, they're kind of relative terms. We're all works in progress. We're all at different stages. And as we live together as a church, that means that a situation like what we see in, in verse 14 can arise. So Paul says... I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. That's what Paul knows. That's what he believes to be true. And it is true because that's what the word of the Lord Jesus is. Nothing is unclean, intrinsically unclean in and of itself. But then, then listen to what he says. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So there is no, no unclean food. He's talking about food here. There's no unclean food. But if someone thinks it is unclean, then it's unclean for him. I wonder what you make of verse 14. It almost sounds contradictory, doesn't it? <laughs> Nothing is unclean. Except if you think it's unclean, then it's unclean. Sounds like some kind of relativism. Oh, you've got your right, and I've got my right, and you've got your wrong, and I've got, got my wrong. Is that what Paul is, is talking about? Well, no, Paul clarifies in verse 20, says, everything, that's every food, is indeed clean. It is, that's the reality. But Paul's wanting us to understand something about our conscience, and it's this. When I go against my conscience and do what I believe to be wrong, even if that thing isn't wrong, it's sin. If I go against my conscience and do what I believe to be wrong, even if that thing isn't wrong, then it's, it's sin. So we talked, didn't we, last week about the, the men's breakfast in Rome in the first century. And people sat around eating their, their bacon and sausage butties. Imagine this, a weaker brother gets sat on the table with uh, all those who are strong. And there in the middle of the, the table, there's a plate of bacon butties. And all these strong brothers are reaching up. They've got the HP sauce out. They're lashing it on the, on the bacon butty and they're, they're eating. There's a couple of jokes about the weaker brother who isn't eating. Eventually, he, uh, because of his embarrassment, uh, he decides to take one of the bacon butties and eats it. In his heart, he, he thinks eating the bacon butty is wrong. But he does it because of the pressure from his his brother's on the table. Has he done something wrong? <laughs> Has he done something wrong? Well, we know, don't we, that all, all foods are clean. And yet Paul says he has done something wrong because he's, he's gone against his conscience. Listen to verse 23. Whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 
It's wrong because he's deliberately done something that he believes is dishonouring to Jesus. He's not acted out of a heart of, of faith and trust in the risen Lord. He's acted out of a heart of rebellion. Can't, can't give thanks for the bacon butty because he believes he's, he's doing something wrong. Martin Luther said, it's neither right nor safe to go against my conscience. That's the principle that we see here in verse 14. Our conscience isn't perfect, is it? It's not infallible. It may need correcting. But going against my conscience is never, ever wise. And so Paul is saying to those who are strong, don't ride roughshod over the consciences of your weaker brothers and sisters just because you are convinced something is okay. I think that's what he means by a stumbling block. By putting a stumbling block in the way of our brothers and sisters. When I, through my enjoyment of the liberty that I have in Jesus, encourage another brother or sister to ignore their conscience and do what I'm doing. And that hinders their discipleship. In fact, Paul's words are much stronger than that. Paul says, for the sake of food, will you destroy your brother? Will you tear your brother down? So that's the first thing we're thinking about, conscience. Conscience. So when I know something is okay, but my brother or sister believes it to be wrong, then in that situation, I should just take great care. And then we move on to love. Love. And here's the lesson that we learn about love. It says, love and not liberty should referee my actions. Love and not liberty should referee my actions. On the football field, it's the referee that calls the shots, isn't it? He's the one with the whistle. He's the one that directs the play. He's the one, it's his word that matters. He has the last word. And when it comes to these matters of opinions, these debatable differences between us, love is to be the referee and not liberty. Not my rights, not what I'm permitted to do, but love for my brother. That's the question. Is this loving? Seems, doesn't it, you read this, that there were those in Rome who were pressing their right to eat certain foods. And they were doing that at the expense of the peace and the harmony of the church family. And so Paul says, do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. I, I, I read these verses and I think they're really surprising. I would have expected uh, the Apostle Paul to kind of double down on the fact that all foods are clean <laughs> and just press home that teaching to correct the weaker brother 
And in a sense, he does that but very gently. What he also does is he, 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 he directs his teaching towards those who are strong. And he calls them to love. To love. Don't be so concerned about your liberty and exercise your liberty. Just love one another. And as he writes to the Corinthians, he says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. John Stott writes that love never disregards the consciences of the weak. But love limits its own liberty out of respect for them. These are really challenging verses, aren't they? We see the limiting of liberty in verse 22. Paul says, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. It's not talking there, you know, never, never tell anyone else about Jesus. That's not always keep your faith as a private thing. That's not his meaning. He's talking about the outworking of, of your faith. In these debatable matters, these matters of opinions, just don't flaunt it. Just, just keep it, he says, between yourself and God. If it's going to cause a problem, keep it quiet. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. As I've looked at this passage this week, I think uh, verse 15 has been the sharpest verse for me, the most pointy verse. He says, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Can you see the contrast in, those, in, in, in that verse? On the one hand, you've got a Christian who's insisting on his liberty. He's demanding on his right to eat a bacon butty at the men's breakfast because it's permitted. Even if it spoils the peace of the church, even if it makes his brother stumble. And on the other side, you've got Christ on the cross. The, the, the truly strong one who's laying aside all of his liberty. The one who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Do you see how Jesus loved the weak? As he hung there, unable to move. Unable to breathe. Just so he could love his brothers and sisters. That's laying down your liberty, isn't it? And if you're strong, if you, you know, if you've grasped the liberty and the freedom that are yours in Christ, and if you're tempted to be frustrated with those who maybe you feel like are a couple of steps behind. Who have, in your opinion, an oversensitive conscience. 
Maybe they make you feel hedged in and hampered. Well, look at the cross and see the Lord Jesus. Do you see how Paul addresses these disagreements? He doesn't wade in, does he, with lots of rules? He doesn't wade in with lots of rules of, okay, you know, you can eat a bacon butty when you're at home on your own. At the church, breakfast, no bacon, no sausage. If you have a strong brother around, then you can eat your bacon butty together. If you have a weak brother around, no bacon butty. He doesn't layer on layer and layer and layer of rules. That's what some would want. But that doesn't help us grow maturity. Paul just says, let love be the referee. Make that the number one priority. So that's conscience. That's love. And then the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. Jesus, didn't he, talked about the kingdom of God all of the time. If you read through the Gospels and you read Jesus' teaching in particular, the kingdom of God is always on Jesus' lips. And yet Paul hardly ever mentions the kingdom of God. And yet here he does. Verses 17 to 19 are really the heart of, of this passage. And this helps us understand why Paul takes so much time over this issue. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Disagreements have a way of, of taking on a life of their own, don't they? They, uh, they loom large in our hearts and minds. They're always kind of pushing themselves to the, to the front. Imagine if you were kind of fly on the wall in the first century in, in the houses of some of these Christians in, in Rome. Perhaps what they were talking about was food and drink and, and holy days and feast days and, and calendars. And if you were a fly on the wall, you might think that that's what Christianity was all about. It was a central issue. Yet Paul says God's kingdom isn't a matter of eating and drinking. It's not, is it? So much greater than that. Let's touch on an issue that is a live issue for us as a church. We could say something like this. The kingdom of God isn't a matter of church buildings. No, central to God's kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Righteousness, being in a right relationship with God and a right relationship with each other. That is absolutely central to God's kingdom. Peace with God. That's at the heart of what it means to belong to God's kingdom. To be at peace with the one who made you the one who's now your Lord, a peace that's won through the death of Jesus, and that means also peace with each other. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And joy, joy in the Holy Spirit. These have been three great themes through this letter of Romans, actually. Joy in the, in the face of sorrow and suffering and trials because of the future hope that we have. 
The kingdom of God is about living under the rule of Jesus, knowing his righteousness, enjoying his peace, sharing in his joy. That's what's central. And the reason all of this matters is because it's very easy for our disagreements about small things to push themselves up front, cause a distraction and a diversion. So Paul gives us this instruction. So let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Pursue what makes for peace and for building one another up. Give ourselves to that. I've not really touched on any uh, practical outworkings of this. There are probably all sorts of uh, different scenarios, different issues that these apply to. Just kind of begun, really. We can think through that together in the coming week. But the, the plea of Paul is for us to, to love each other, to pursue peace. And that's so important just for the mission of the church. It's only when we live in harmony that we can declare the good news about Jesus with one voice. And so that's why all of this matters. Let's uh, pray together, ask for God's help, that we will uh, be able to work some of this, or he will, by his spirit, be able to work some of this into our hearts. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you, Father, that you loved us so much that you sent Jesus into the world, your dearly beloved son, your perfect son, to come as a man to live and to die in our place. Lord, for many of the, us, these truths are, are well known. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see what they mean more clearly. Thrill our hearts, change us by your love, we pray. Thank you for your word. Continue to speak, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.